you just remain in this atmosphere, stay standing, please, and hear the word of the Lord this morning. This morning we continue our study of the Tender Commandments. Just stay, don't, don't lose where you are. I felt very strongly impressed of the Lord this morning. I think I understand now why. To read an extended portion of Scripture this is the words of Moses spoken to the people of Israel. He'd gone up to the mountain and received these tender commandments from the Lord. And then He found the people of God when he returned worshiping golden calf. And he took those tablets and smashed them and then the Lord invited him back up to the mountain. And God took his finger and wrote again these tender commandments. He says, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and night as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also, and it was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord sets His affection on, set His affection on your forefathers and loved them and He chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him. Hold fast to Him and take your oaths in His name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Love the Lord your God and keep His requirements, His decrees, His laws, and His commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, His majesty, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm, the signs He performed and the things He did in the heart of Egypt, both the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what He did to the Egyptian army, 
to its horses and chariots and how He overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what He did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place and what He did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering in to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful. Be careful. Or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and He will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will not yield, will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully observe, All these commands I am giving you to follow. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all His ways. And to hold fast to Him. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. You will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. And every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as He promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you are going. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not.
Jesus, we open our hearts and our spirit to you today to speak to us. You who are the living, eternal word, as you have already spoken to us so profoundly today as we have gathered here in this house for this time. We ask you to now come and enliven your word to speak to us, to bring forth, Lord God, life, life. For your glory and for your praise, Jesus, we ask it now in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, um, for those of you that are keeping track of where we are here in this uh, series that we're doing, we've come to tender commandment number eight, do not steal. And... What we have been doing as we've been walking through this entire series is helping us to sort of re, be reintroduced to these commandments and, and reframe them in the light of his love for us. I want to read for you one more time. I read for you an extended passion, passion passage from Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. I read all the way through almost the end of verse of chapter 11. And um, listen again just one more time to these words. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? This is Deuteronomy 10, 12. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Say that with me. For your own good. I think oftentimes when we think about the Ten Commandments, the first thing that springs to mind is maybe if we were to put an image on it, would be some sort of prison bars. These are God's ways of keeping us confined and trapped and penned in from experiencing the real joy that would happen if we could just bust out of His jail. Now, we'd never say that, but I think somewhere deep within us, the enemy has sort of distorted and perverted our understanding of these commandments in such a way that, that sometimes I think even just subconsciously or unconsciously, we, it's, it's almost like Adam and Eve in the garden where the enemy came to them and said, well, did God really say that? You know, in fact, God's just afraid that, that you're going to experience the really good stuff. He just doesn't want you to have all that knowledge. He's, he's trying to keep you suppressed and under his thumb. So why don't you just eat of this apple and see if we can break out. And the enemy still does that today. He entices us. There's a, scripture talks about the enticing. He, he still entices us saying, you know, did he really say that? You think that's what he really meant? Ah, he's just trying to he's just trying to control you and manipulate you and keep you confined. But I'm here to remind you again this morning that these commandments are not prison bars. They are gateways and doorways into true freedom. That it's God's intent for us, for our good and to prosper our souls and our lives in such a way that we experience the joy 
and the wonder and the beauty of having a relationship with Him that is pure and free and clear. And a relationship with those around us that is pure and clear and free. This is good news, people, yes? This is good news. These are tender commandments. Now, this morning we're looking at tender commandment number eight, do not steal. We could just say, do not steal. There we are. Let's go home. Have a benediction. But I think that God wants us to understand and frame this commandment in the understanding of his heart towards us. So that's what I want to try to unpack this morning. And I've entitled the message, Trusting in God's Provision. Trusting in God's Provision. For if we understand and understand His provision and really grab hold of the principle of that, it will bring us into a place of greater freedom from even the subtle temptation that can arise in our hearts to steal. And we're going to unfold that whole stealing a bit more in a moment. But let's start, first of all, with the principle here. The principle. We're going to look at four things, and yes, they all begin with P, so you'll be comforted by that. We're going to look at the principle, the practical, the penalty, and the promise. All right? So, let's start with the principle this morning. Trusting in God's provision. Let's talk about for a moment God's provision. God is our source and a God of many resources. Would you say this with me? God is my source and a God of many resources. Say that with me. God is my source and the God of many resources. Your bank account is not your source. Your paycheck is not your source. Your spouse is not your source. Your parents are not your source. Your pastor is not your source. God is your source. And He is the God of many resources. There's no recessions in God's bank account and economy. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the way the Lord introduces himself in Genesis. He, he continues to, 
unfold and unpack who he is to Abraham. And he introduces him by his various names. And one of those names that is very relevant here is Jehovah what? Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And who can tell me where God introduces himself to Abraham as his provider? Anybody know? Sermon points available. Come on. That's great. That's not where I'm looking for, but that's a wonderful one, Jeremy. Thank you. He is our shield and a very great reward. But where does he, where does he, where in the scripture does he introduce himself as? All right. Genesis chapter 22. Thank you. All right. Genesis 22. All good answers. Here we go. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, remember, let's set up the story. He's Abraham. God has spoken to Abraham and said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Now, Abraham had waited for Isaac forever. He was old when he finally had him. This was the promised son who was going to be the one who was going to, out of the issue of of Isaac comes the whole nation of Israel and your descendants are going to be as countless as the stars in the sky. And then God comes to Abraham and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Now, that's a little counterintuitive. All right? What what sense does that make? Wait a minute. He's going to be the one that I've waited for, that me and Sarah have waited for all of these years for you to bring. You brought him. And now you want me to sacrifice him. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its thorns, horns. He was, he was there. He was ready to sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord stopped him just as the knife was ready to plunge into his son's Isaac breast. He looked up. The Lord said, wait. He looked up in the thicket, saw a ram caught by its thorns, went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And here is the question that I have for you this morning. Do we know Him as Jehovah Jireh? The Lord will provide. Do we know Him as our source? When it seems like The knife is just ready to go in and we're making what feels to us like that final sacrifice. There's nothing else. we got nowhere to go. Look up. Look up. Look up. Abraham looked up. The other side of this coin is our trust. There's God's provision. The other side of it is, is our trust. And Abraham had, through submission and surrender, we draw upon our source. Abraham, what an example of this. Remember, this is earlier in the story, just before the portion I just read. I'm reading them out of sequence, but I want you to get this. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it 
on his son Isaac. Think about this. He's loading. Come here, Noah, my son. So here we go. So he took all of the wood. Uh, all right. Here we go. We got some wood. Ooh, this is a good heavy one. Oh, that's a little bit. All right. We'll do this one instead. All right. So he strapped it on his back. All right. Can you put your arms back there? All right. There we go. We're going up the mountain, man. All right. Abraham and Isaac going up, placed it on his son. Himself carried the, the fire and the knife. I am not a knife carrier. Um, all right. My knife. All right. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, said to his father Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Isn't that powerful? God himself is going to provide. I mean, Abraham had to be, I mean, if I was in Abraham's shoes, I, I don't know what I'd do. I wasn't as old as Abraham when we had Noah, but I felt pretty old. And we'd waited for him for a long time. God had told us, four kids. He didn't tell us we were going to have them in the 80s and 90s and the aughts, but he told us, four kids. How hard that would be. But what trust. I think the question that we're being asked this morning is, do we trust him to be who he says he is? This is key, people. Do we trust him to be who he says he is? All right. So let's unpack this a bit more get into the practical for a moment. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time here. I'm going to allow the Spirit to make some applications in your heart, and I believe He will. I'll give you some illustrations, some things for you to be thinking about. Matthew Henry, um, in his commentary, wrote something that just it just caught me. Well, I, you know, in fact, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read it. It's not a real long... Um, yeah, maybe if I've got it here. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe not. All right. Here we go. He says, This command forbids us to rob ourselves of what we have by sinful spending or by the use and comfort of it by sinful sparing. And to rob others by removing the ancient landmarks, invading our neighbor's rights, taking his grounds from his person, his goods, taking his goods from his person, his home, field, forcibly or clandestinely, overreaching and bargaining in bargains, not restoring what is borrowed or found, withholding just debts, rents, or wages, and worst of all, to rob the public in coin or revenue or that which is dedicated to the service of God. 
So I'm going to talk about three things. Do not rob yourself, do not rob others, and do not rob God. Here's the practical. Quickly. Do not rob yourself. Therefore, I tell you, Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. How do we rob ourselves? Well, let me ask you this question. Is our peace and well-being getting robbed by worrying or by sinful spending or sinful sparing. I'm going to be really direct here. God help me. We live in a culture that right now is experiencing the consequence on many different levels of robbing ourselves through sinful spending. Where we have overreached and put ourselves in a position of imprisonment to debt. And it is a horrible slave master. Now, the inverse, on the other side of this coin, the inverse of this, or perhaps the reaction to that, is to do this and seek somehow, some way, to control now. So therefore, instead of that, I am going to close things up and I am not going to allow, you know, I'm I'm just going to keep a firm grip. And sort of tighten down the hatches in such a way that we're in a different kind of prison. So is our peace and well-being getting robbed through worry and by sinful spending or sinful sparing? In other words... In, in the patterns of our life and our giving, what are we doing? How are we, how are we using the resources God has given us? Or are we robbing even our very well-being and peace of mind? Is that being robbed, stolen by decisions and choices that we are making? We need to use wisdom, godly wisdom, to instruct and help us. In this, don't we? And don't we need each other? Yes, do we need each other in this? I think we do. This is not an easy area, and it's not something, you know, and we, again, we live in a culture that there's a lot of distortion around all of this. And we're going to be entering into a season where there's even more distortion around this. Do not rob others. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul begins with these words. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I 
urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then he goes and unpacks that for the next three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6. What does it mean to live worthy? And one of the things he says is anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Pastor Sam and I have been dialoguing about this week and and he was coming up with lots of really good practical ways of thinking about this passage and about this issue of stealing from others. There are so many ways in which we don't even think it's unconscious, perhaps, or it's not at the front of our mind, but that, the, that, that, that this whole thing of stealing from others can begin to creep into our lives. We can steal from our family. One, by not providing for them, not caring for them, not sharing and loving them. Maybe, maybe sometimes by, we, we steal just by the use of our time or our inattention or our, 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 our lack of being present with them. There's so many different ways that we can steal from our family. We can steal from our schools. With everything on the Internet, how easy it is to step out and plagiarize. Ah, it won't hurt. I can just pull this off. You know, oh, man, that's great. Let me just pull that off and put it into my paper. Oh, you know, let me just look over it. Man, you know, I don't get this, but I'm on the test, and this person's, I think they're getting it. Maybe I can get it from them. You're stealing. That's stealing. In our work, uh, many years ago, a study was done and found that there was no discernible difference between the ethics of Christians at work from non-Christians at work. Ouch. Stealing. At work, it's, how, how am I doing? What am, what am I doing with my time at work? I don't think Facebook's on your job description at work. Right? What are you doing with, you know, what are you doing with the time that God's given you there? Are you doing it with excellence? Are you working, you know, all of those things. That's very real stuff. Getting real quiet, okay? But it's where it's at. We were talking about this the other day when we were out, we were together as a staff, and we, I don't know why we got talking about having jobs in restaurants. And I, how many of you have had a job in a restaurant? How many of you know that the people that wait staff least like to wait upon are Christians? It's true. It's true. I worked in the restaurant business. I know. It's true. Instead of leaving a tip, you know, that beautiful million-dollar track that looks like money, and then they open it up, and it's a tract. What do you think you're trying to do? Stop it. Just stop it. They need your genuine love and care, and they're trying to support a family or take care of or go to school or whatever. Tip them good. Care for them. Love them. Pray with them. Share the love of Jesus, but please don't leave a tract instead of a tip. <laughs> please. I beg you. 
If you do, don't put Bethel Christian Fellowship on the track, okay? <laughs> Our community, you know, what do we do? All, all of these things, the society as a whole. I mean, we have obligations and responsibilities. There is, you know, and, and if we're cutting corners, if we're trying to, you know, if we're taking things that are not ours, if, if we're taking, um, you know, disability and we're not disabled or we, we, we're working on the side and still receiving disability, we're all caring for you and you're taking from everyone else. I mean, there's a million and myriad ways that this goes, people. It gets really, really practical in a hurry. Specifically about work in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. How are you serving in your workplace? I believe that Christians, I mean, you have the opportunity to express um, the goodness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing out of your life in your workplace in such a way that you will be the most valuable worker in your department at your work. Where the people are going to be looking to you. Right, Carol? Say amen, please. Isn't that true? I mean, you, that's, that's been your life. That's what you did as you invested into the work world. You experienced this. So have many others of you. And you've experienced the favor of God when you've done with diligence and excellence. Are you doing your work? Are we doing our work as if Jesus is our boss with excellence, diligence, and ethically? Or we are, are we robbing our employer of our best? When he is, you know, when the boss, she's not there to, to, she's not looking, what are you doing? We work hard. We do it well. Start teaching your children these things early. My children know all about this. We talk about this. We go rake leaves. And we're getting paid per bag. We don't just fill it up with that nice little, you know, you can fill up bags really quick. Push it down. Tamp it down. That bag should be full. If I'm getting paid per bag, my bag's going to be full. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to rake it up again and I'm going to make sure I get everything I possibly can get up. Right? Right? Yep. That's how we do it in the Olson household. Starts there. Teach your kids. Doing their chores. Man, an opportunity here for you to try that again. Come on. Where else are they going to learn it? Not from you? Yeah, they're learning from you. Exactly. Charles Spurgeon tells a great story when some, there was a maid who wanted to become a member of the church and they asked her to give proof of how her life had changed, been changed by Jesus. And she said, well, before I met Jesus, 
when I took the dust, she said I would sweep it up and then I would just sweep it under the rug. But now that I've met Jesus, I no longer do that. I sweep it up and throw it away. And they said it's enough. All right. We're almost there, people. Do not rob God. He does not oppress anyone. I love this. I found this scripture this week in my study, Ezekiel 18.7. But returns what he took in pledge for loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He doesn't rob, but he gives his food. In other words, there's something even beyond where we at right now in terms of our understanding. This is more than just simply, it's more than just about us. It's not just simply about doing it for our sake, but it's for the sake of others so that it, the opposite of this stealing is extravagant generosity. I'm not committing robbery, but I'm giving my food to the hungry and providing clothing for the naked. Malachi, I the Lord do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? This is the year of return, people. How are we to return? God says, will a mere mortal man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing that there'll be not room enough to store it. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Here's my question to us. Are we robbing God of our generous giving of alms and offerings and our tithes? And yes, this is very practical. Tithing is the 10%. And yes, I know that's an Old Testament thing. God says in the New Testament, it's all mine. How much are you going to keep? But at the giving of our 10% of that, I'm telling you, I've done this since I was this age when I did lawns and did those things. I was taught that as a child and God has proved himself faithful. Test me in this, he says, and we've never been wanting. We haven't always had much. When I started in ministry, I made $200 a week for a family of three. You do the math. God provided. Stuff showed up in my car. People would slaughter something and bring me some of it. And it wasn't just us hunting with our Oldsmobile. We hunted with, we had a nice big old Olds 88 wagon. Man, that thing could take out the deer. All right, but anyway, that's another story. Going hunting with my Olds. All right. But God's been faithful. And always provide, and enough to give to others. To give not just the tithe. That's just a starting point. We have the joy of giving lots more than that. An offering, benevolence, alms, all kinds of ways to give. And not just our money, but our time, our gifts, our energies, our resources, all, all kinds of things. God, you know, when the offering, I was thinking about that this morning, you know, the offerings wasn't just people coming and they didn't just come and write a check. It was, bah! 
All right? It was earthy stuff they were bringing. They were bringing stuff that they'd grown and done. And, you know, I mean, it was their whole life. Don't rob God of your life. And your sustenance, He is our source. Test Him. Trust Him. He's faithful. All right. Finally. Getting there. The penalty. This is Exodus 22. Just a little bit further on than Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are given. Whoever steals an ox for a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox, four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed, but if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution, but if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive or in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. Here's the principle of the penalty. When we steal from ourselves, others, or God, we end up losing not only what we steal, but so much more. There's a double penalty. Not only do we lose that which we stole, but we've got to pay the amount of which we stole. And we do that emotionally, physically, practically. There's so many different ways that that unfolds in our lives, even in our very peace of mind. Stop stealing for the reason that when you do, you are not simply robbing others, but your own life is being destroyed. Don't do it. God has better for you and for me. He's given us these commandments for our good. Right? And here's the promise. If you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, we read this earlier. To love the Lord your God, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then it will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be what? Say it with me. You'll be what? You're going to be what? Satisfied. Satisfied. Man. Do we not live in a culture of dissatisfaction? Rockefeller who was asked, how much money will be enough? Just one dollar more. Never satisfied, never content. But God says, if you'll trust me, if you'll obey my commands, if you'll do these things... I will be your provision and I will satisfy you. So will we wholeheartedly obey Him and trust in His tender promise to provide? That's my question to us this morning. Worship team, come up. Thank you for your patience. I just really sensed earlier when we were just waiting on God in silence and throughout this service, I just heard God say, I'm not in a hurry. I said, okay. So I know we're, we're in overtime, but thank you for patiently staying present. Because I think it's significant and important to hear what He has to speak to us today out of His tender commandments. And I believe that God will bring revelation to you in your heart, in your situation, in your, where you're at. He'll give you, He'll start to give you. The, the Spirit of God is really good about applying these things. So I've given you some fodder for thought this morning, but I want to invite you to, to, to allow the Spirit of God to, to go in and go deeper into you because it's for your good and it's for the good 
of God and the good of all those around you. Pastor Sam sent me this. said, this is how he's closing. So those of you that might be going over Minneapolis tonight, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not stealing. He sent it to me, okay? God has called us. Here's how I'm closing the sermon. He says, God has called us to generosity. He's called us to be givers and not takers. Not only is it a commandment not to steal, but God commanded that giving be a part of our everyday life. Why? Because a giving heart is less likely to steal. A giving heart is less selfish. When we're givers and not takers, we're operating out of selflessness, not selfishness. When we're givers and not takers, we are opening the door for God's provision instead of our own. When we're givers and not takers, we are operating out of a place of trust in God. When we're givers and not takers, we're loving others. When we're givers and not takers, we're loving God. When we are givers and not takers, we are opening the door for God to do what what he wants in our lives. When we are givers and not takers, we are engaging with God's mission in the world. Today, I want to encourage you to be a giver and not a taker. Stop stealing. Instead, work so that you may have something to share with those in need. Let's be givers and not takers, selfless and not selfish, other-centered, not self-centered, generous, not stingy. Let's trust God to provide by taking only what is ours and giving him and others what is theirs. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is God's heart for us. And this is God's heart for this house to be a generous house. Thank you, God. Just open your hands if you would. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we do make that declaration this morning that you are more than enough. And Lord, we also, with that declaration, make the confession that we haven't always truly acted that way. We ask you to forgive us today for the way that we've robbed ourselves and robbed others and even robbed you, God. Jesus, we acknowledge that probably every single one of us in this room at one point or another, Lord, have stepped around or across some of those lines that you've graciously provided for us to live within so that we could truly be free. And we just, we just want you to know, Lord, we are deeply sorry. And we ask that you would forgive us today, Lord Jesus. And that you would heal us in this place. And that, Lord, you would give us a fresh, just a fresh revelation that you are Jehovah Jireh. That you, Lord, are truly our provider. You are our source. Help us, God. You know how we are. (laughs) You know our lives. You know our temptations and vulnerabilities. Cover us and keep us and help us and encourage us. And may we be an encouragement to one another. May your word encourage us today. Thank you for your people here gathered in your house today to receive from your hand. And I pray now, With your hands open, I ask that you, those hands would be filled, that your life would be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father and the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son and the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. May the banner of His goodness be over your life. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God. I bless you. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, 
our Savior and Lord. Go in His peace. Go in His grace. Amen.